All right, boss. Um, so again, just, I mean, I'll, I'll kick it off with some questions, but um, just flow, man. Whatever you, whatever you be feeling, flow it. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, just talk a little louder so we can hear mm-hmm. on the phone. Gotcha. And then I'll go back and edit everything once I, I'm able to get it on my laptop. Um, but start with the introduction. Who you are? What's your, what's your name? Alrighty. From uh, that my, whole high school shit, you know? Alrighty. My name is Devon Mann. I don't know if I should give the middle name out. Nah, I'll give the middle name out. Lamar. Shout out to Lamar Odom. I am 25 years young, really feeling like 22 these days, so 23. Why is uh, that? Uh, I'm just way happier these days. Shit, to be honest, I'm feeling like I'm, shit, like 17 these days, and I'm just coming from days where I was feeling like I was 60, 70 years old on the back end of my life, so shit's real refreshing, real refreshing. Uh, born in Detroit, Michigan, shout out to Six Mile. It's the mob over there. Uh, moved to California. My pops moved me to California. Uh, went to foster care. You know, typical black hood child messed up. You know, some type of adversity. Went to foster care. Spent 15 months in there. Pops ended up flying to Detroit, coming to get me out the system. Brought me to California. And... That's where my California life started. Went to Glenmore. Shouts out to Dante. <laughs> the one year. Uh, came, went to Glenmore for a little bit. Came back to the Midwest. Was flopping back and forth through those, like, fourth grade to sixth grade years. It's almost like when sports went in. Like, my sports went in. I would want to go back over there. Mm. Just because, like, I got bored and stuff. Mm. So... Like, uh, yeah. So, you said 15 months in foster care. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that was a while ago, and it's time back in your head. And, but obviously, there's, I would assume there's emotions tied to it. Oh, yeah, man. I so, mean, tell, tell me a little bit about that. What's What did that look like for you? What, did, what was that atmosphere like? <laughs> that atmosphere? At least for uh, your mentality, what did it? I mean, honestly, to be completely honest i remember a lot of that 100 uh really? to this day yeah uh it was i mean it was the trenches so to speak it was i mean i was going from how i remember the first lady house i went to she was the nicest lady i had ever she was the nicest parent and household that i had had throughout that whole 15 month experience you want to know how many nights i spent there i mean one Spent my first night there. I remember I cried the whole night because I was so confused. Didn't know what was going on. I just wanted my mom. I remember coming home after school, and uh, this is this is you know at you know Angela or well my bi- biological. I uh, came home from school. Normal day, you know, normal day. I still remember, you know, walk through the side, you know, we pull into the driveway on Vaughn Street. You know, in our white house with the black shutters, you know, got the bars, all the stuff up over it. She used to drive a blue Jeep. Somebody stole the airbag out of it. You know, just typical Detroit. I loved it. But, um, yeah, I just remember coming home that day, pulling into the driveway, walking in. And 
man, maybe 10, 15 minutes later, knock at the door and, you know, four or five people coming in. This white man is asking me questions and asking me to pack an overnight bag for a sleepover and all this stuff. And I hear chaos coming from another room. So, you know, as a little kid, you don't know what the hell is, you know, going on. My mom had did a, you know, I, w- I would say probably as best as a job as she could to her ability at the time uh, to keep me protected. But it's Detroit, you know, you're, you're only going to be so protected if you're living in the hood. Uh, so, you know, me, I'm running in there and I'm trying to see what's going down and I'm just so confused. Next thing I know, I'm just breaking down crying and I literally remember just being stuck but somehow moving like I remember that as a little kid feeling that and went to foster care and I mean went to the courts all the households I went to were shitty I mean besides that first house all the households I went to were shitty Uh, you know got treated almost like you were in jail you know to speak you know, uh, well, this is and this is from my experience. You know, I'm, I can only speak from my experience personally. Right. Uh, but yeah, you know, like I was, uh, me personally, I was treated like shit. I was just a paycheck. Honestly, that's what I feel. You know, that's how I feel now looking back at it. I remember getting elbowed by a grown ass man in basketball, full fledged elbow, mouth bleeding, like mouth full fledged bleeding, bleeding, and I go inside to ask for help and. They're just like, you go take care of it. Like, it's your mouth. Like, wow. imagine imagine telling us, like, I was six, maybe five years old, maybe. Wow. I had known independence. You know, I had known how to take care of myself more than the average five-year-old at the time. But shit, still, I was still a fucking kid. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, honestly, man, that right there is a moment that will always be in my life and captivating me and was like, I'll never need anybody else's help. Mm. And it faults me to this day. But that moment right there, I knew I didn't want to ever have to ask anybody for anything, rely on anybody for anything. And yeah, you know, that was playing basketball. I mean, we had stories, man. Like we'd have to go to bed at seven o'clock, you know, kids. In in bed and sleeping. Yeah, I remember in one of the houses. Yeah, so me and uh, one of my uh, foster sisters, uh, we had our own room, and we would have to go to sleep at 7 o'clock, and we're in the upstairs attic. You know what I'm saying? Our room is in the upstairs attic, and it's just like the lights are cut off pitch black, 7 p.m., and we're just sitting, laying down in bed, and we hear, you know, things going down upstairs and people still up. And it's just like, you know, it's it's almost an early form of depression. Mm. It's like a practice of depression already. So, you say depression, Mm -hmm. and I think, obviously, depression is a hot topic these days. Yeah. But being able to identify that and associate that with what you were feeling at that age, Mm -hmm. when you think depression for your mind, if you've ever been depressed, do you almost get similar feelings to that when when you have depression these days or what does your depression look like now compared to that moment when you were a kid um my depression these days are always way better because i can always look back at things where i was uh less 
less in strength inside. I didn't know as much mentally and I didn't have the experience and exercises to be comfortable with having those depressed thoughts, quote unquote. Um, So for me, nowadays it's different because even if I do get down and I get depressed, my first nature is now you're going to make it through anything, no matter what. Like, look what you've been through. Versus before, at such a young age, it was just like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Only thing at this at this point is make an emotional, irrational decision because I'm so mad and try to do something to myself and hurt myself and knowing it's an emotional decision, you know? Uh, so that's, you know, that's really the difference between my depression now and then. It's just more knowledge and more skills. Yeah. Okay. And so you were talking a little bit earlier about your situation, your mom doing as much as he could, your biological mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and you did make that distinction for biological mother. Mm-hmm. What is what is your feelings towards towards her? Um, you know, I, I, I won't say my real feelings just, just because I'm not ready to even, I feel like at least she deserves to, to hear my real feelings, but, um, in retrospect and I, you know, I want it to be known that I am very, 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 very upset, maddened about that relationship. I'm very sour. I'm bitter about it. And I don't feel one bit bad about being bitter or sour about it. Um, yeah, I mean, that's... And then when you say every bit, this mm-hmm. anger is inside of you, what, 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 what is that stemming from? Um, you know, it stems from broken promises. Uh, it stems from... I feel like taking advantage of someone that was in a very vulnerable position and in a position of no authority. I feel like um, I feel like I was walked all over. I felt like uh, real feelings wasn't heard. I feel like I was heard, but uh, the proper practices to mending that bridge just never was genuinely committed to mm. which is you know which is fine but be consistent on whatever you know I, I guess that was my big thing and you know in anything in life relationship but especially with a parent is be consistent in who you are you know if you're if you're not gonna be there and you're not gonna you know whatever be consistent in that right don't pop in and then say you're going to show up for this and that and blah, 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 and then be gone for seven, eight years. You know what I mean? Like, just be consistent. If you're going to be here, be here. Or just communicate. Hey, going through this, going through that, you know, blah, blah, blah. This and that. But, hey, I'm, I'm an adult now, and honestly, I can I can make peace with it. But at this point, I'm I'm over it. And it's just, I take it as what it is. Mm. It's, you know, I have a mother these days that loves me. 
does motherly stuff for me. And, you know, I feel like it's a little disrespect to her to even, like, I don't know. That's just the way I feel. I feel like my loyalty sometimes is too, like, it's very strong. So, like, I'll feel like even even having her in my mind is kind of like a sign of disloyalty. Because it's just like, you know, I feel like they she hasn't done enough to even be qualified. Besides giving birth to me. I mean, she hasn't done, I mean, it's something you have to maintain in my mind, you know. And so you talk about loyalty mm-hmm. and this idea of that you are almost too loyal to a fault. Yeah. I... Did you have something coming? Or yeah, well, I was. I mean, if you did have something that you wanted to just touch on before I got into the question, uh, go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. okay. Um, so you say loyalty, and again, almost to the idea that you're loyal to a fault and almost to an extreme. Mm-hmm. In your mind, what do you think that stems from? Uh, I think that stems from me really not I think me hmm, that's a great question first of all as you can see I'm stumped a little bit sounds like you talked uh, you know man I've always just been somebody I guess that wanted security and I think going through foster care and all that not even I think I know going through foster care and all that didn't have security Obviously, you know, don't have security of having your normal, real parents and all that. Um, you know, I feel like that's something now that I gravitate. I I just gravitate towards loyalty because I felt like back in those days, no one was loyal to me, or maybe the people that meant most to me back then weren't loyal or as much loyalty to me as I was to them. But one thing now that helps me a whole lot uh, these days is, man, shouts out to my guy, Mike. Uh, Mike M, love you for life, bro. Uh, he gave me some game, man. And he was like, bro, don't be mad. And I told, you know, uh, he was just like, man, don't be mad at people for not being loyal forever. Everybody has their time limit. Everybody has their comfortability, their range. Some people are loyal for a week, a day, a month, years, hours, decades. It's just different. It's different strokes for different folks. You know what I mean? So you can't get mad because someone ain't loyal to you forever. When that loyalty dies off, that's fine. You guys just wrap it up there. And you keep on going with the ones that are still loyal to you, and you keep that train pushing. Uh, that's, that, that's solid advice, and you have told me that before. And it does stick with me. It really does. Because the concept I think a lot of people look at is we're so focused in right now. It's yeah. really hard to take ourselves out of that position and yes. think future and other people's circumstances. And it's all about what can I do now to live my best life. Exactly. In that sense. So it's hard to really jump into different perspectives on that but in terms of loyalty and and the way you've touched on it right now I would say that is it safe to say that that's a a pillar of your foundation of of the man you are yeah okay and 
so with that being the case, what is, what are some other things that you really think embody how you try to live every single day? Mm, things that embody, you know, uh, the pursuit of happiness, really. The pursuit of, of, of actually, I'm not even happiness, of wholeness. You know, just to feel whole or as one. You know, you can, I think I, I figure it out now is you can be in a bad mood or an off mood and still feel whole. You still feel whole. You're just not in that, like in the bright mood of it, but you're still whole. It's just a bad mood. Um, I mean, so your idea of being whole, what does that look like? My idea of being whole, honestly, is I just want to be a genuine, I want to be a genuine flawed person, Mm. a genuine, I want to be the perfect flawed man. Mm. I mean, I understand my flaws and all that, and shit, I don't think I like to judge people. I don't think I like to judge people, but I judge myself, so I should be able to judge other people. And so would you say that you're your harshest critic? I'm not a harsh critic. Well, I will I will say this. I'm a harsh critic, but I'm very accepting. I'm very accepting. So, you know, just because I criticize you and all that, it's not out of hate or anything. It's out of passion. It's out of passion. I'm not yelling. I'm just a big guy with a big voice. Sometimes I'll be passionate because... Shit, I want motherfuckers to do good. So, you know, that's 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 on my end right there. So when you look at yourself and you judge yourself on a day-to-day basis, like we all do, you mm-hmm. know, you obviously got your internal conflicts and what have you. How, how do you go about judging yourself success-wise? Like, what is... How do you keep setting the mark for yourself? Success-wise, I feel like it almost changes for me every day. Yeah, every day. Every day I wake up and it's almost like I want to conquer something new. It's almost like I judge my success by something new, which is really frustrating, actually, because it's like... I was on to this task and I was making progress at this. I wasn't doing anything bad. It's not like I fell off or anything. And then I'll just wake up tomorrow and shit, if I could do this today, this will be very successful. And it's almost like at the end of the month, you got 40, 50 things that you started, you started your path to success to, but it's still not completed. Mm. So, I mean, for me, it's, uh, I just, Got, I judge my success off of whatever comes by the day, which is something that, you know, I, th- I feel like I just identify that that's a problem with me. That's a problem and something that should get to working at. Why do you say that's a problem? Because I, will, I, I think it causes me to have a lot of, Incomplete, unfinished projects. 
causes me to um, have a whole bunch of, you know, assignments that, let's say, you know, I'll put it like this. I have 10 assignments. They all got 10 questions on them. And it's almost like I did the first four or five questions to all of those assignments and I got them right, but I just never finished because I started the other assignment. Because I seen the first question on the other assignment and I said, oh, I know that answer. And then number two, oh, I know that answer. Number three, oh, I know that answer. Number four, oh, let me go look for it a little bit. Oh, I researched something and I knew all these answers and I found the answer I researched for. Oh yeah, this is finna be easy. Let me look at the next one so I can start getting prepared. Oh, number one, I know the answer. And it's just like a circle. It's like a circle. It's almost like the squirrel effect. Mm. Like, oh, this is a squirrel. Yeah, and I, I know that's <clears throat> that's something I always think about too because it's like you almost really question how much progress are you actually making on certain things because mm-hmm. you feel like you're bouncing around to so many different things. But do you think in that concept, the idea that you're bouncing around to multiple different things instead of just honing in on one thing and seeing it through to the end and then moving on, mm-hmm. do you think committing to that sort of lifestyle or approach would be ultimately beneficial to you or do you view it as stepping outside of who you genuinely are? Hmm. I think it's stepping outside of who I am. And I'm somebody where I recognize shit about myself and sometimes I apply it like I'll apply the right what's the word I'll apply the right exercises to the wrong area of something like I know I'm stubborn I'm very stubborn in some ways I'm very stubborn hard to get out of my ways in some ways so me knowing that I know I have to open up. I say, okay, you need to open up. But then I'll open up to the wrong shit. You know what I mean? And it's almost like with the project thing, all the projects and all that, it's just like, you know, I understand I'm putting my eggs over here in different baskets. I love it. I love it. But it's just like, instead of putting your eggs and and taking your eggs and spreading them out between like seven, eight baskets... Let's do three, you know, let's mm. do three or four, mm. you know, and sometimes I just feel like I got to do so much because I'm behind. I feel like I got to catch up. I feel like I didn't lost time. I feel like for where I'm at, I'm not uh, for where I, my age and my current standing at life. Basically, I have nothing to show for it. That's how. I feel sometimes and it causes me to just be erratic and just go and just go, which don't get me wrong. Going, just go. You guys get out there, get off your ass, go do something. But you got to have a brain behind it. Can't just go out there and be going to do stuff. And I do that a lot. Mm. I do that a lot. So you you mentioned lost time based on your age and and where you're at right now. Mm -hmm. Where did Give us some insight to where you feel that from. Where do where do you feel behind? 
What, uh, what brought you to this point where you constantly feel like you're chasing? Well, I really feel like I was robbed out of a real adolescent, young man childhood. I still, to this day, and, you know, I say I hate Michael Jackson and stuff, you know, and all that, but I relay with Michael Jackson because he was robbed out of childhood. And to this day, I have things that I want to do and that are genuinely, like, little kid, like, light-ups. You know what I mean? Like, there, there's been so many times. Like, I relate to little kids. Like, whenever I get around little kids, I'm just, like... Like, we're on point. Like, we're on point. It's almost like... But it's like I was robbed of that. You know what I mean? It's like, damn, I just want to go do... Or, like, live through that. Or walk through those shoes. But then I look, I'm like, damn, dude. Like, you're this age. Like, that's for people that age. So you got to be doing shit this age. You know, people do this age. And then I'm like, you were sitting here trying to do all people... Like, things that are directed for people this age... And look at all this time that you just lost. And so then that causes me to be like, all right, now you got to be grown and all that, which is fine. And I'll step into those shoes. But then when I'm in the grown up shoes, it's just like, damn, a piece of happiness is gone. Mm. A piece of happiness. A piece, it's almost like I'll never be able to step back into to those like little kid shoes and, you know, ha- you know, do all that shit as a little kid. Mm. But then I'll be like, that's not true. Just because you're 20, you, you know, at your age, that doesn't mean you can't go do that stuff. Like, just because, and like, I have to start taking my own advice. Just because shit doesn't get done in the time frame that I wanted it to or I expect it to or that is the norm, it doesn't mean it can't happen. It doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It just means that shit didn't happen within that time frame. So... Yeah, I feel like that's where my lost time. Jail, uh, you know, caught a case and did two years. That for sure, <laughs> that for sure is a big, big marker in my brain, a loss of time. Uh, but at the end of the day, I really don't even know if I look at it as a loss of time. I just look at it as I could have been doing something better with my time. Mm. Because, I mean... I learned lessons, mm-hmm. learned lessons, and shit, even all the losses I took, I learned something, and I carry with me, and I know something not to do, or know something to do uh, better next time, mm-hmm. so, you know, yeah, I lost time, and yeah, I lost whatever, but at the end of the day, it's only progressed me, it's mm-hmm. never set me back. So, in sticking on this point a little bit, mm-hmm. you say... You feel like you didn't really have a true childhood childhood experiences. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things you look at that you were like, wow, this is what I wish I had in terms of childhood, those experiences? Man, like, it's stupid, but, like, having all of the kid, like, all of my siblings in the same room just, like, sleeping. And, like, we waking up and being wild, you know, how, you know, like... Mm-hmm. Us waking up on a on a Wednesday, having to get ready for school, and we're all just running around, bumping into each other, stupid shit like that. We I get to go to the same school with my brother, my little sister, older brother, older little sister. Uh, just the things of, you know, I mean the little shit of like, m- mom stuff, like 
hey, you got you guys want me to pick you? Go get your brother. Go do this. Like, blah blah blah. Take your license test. You got this coming up. Do this. Blah blah blah. Like, you know, just kind of like that whole experience of like being groomed, I guess, mm. and being uh, and being being molded. It all under like, I guess all under like one roof and just like going to Disneyland, shit like mm-hmm. that. You know, taking a whole group family drive to like L.A. You know, stuff like that. It's just things like that. I wish I could have uh, had at a younger age. Mm-hmm. Could have had. A, I wish I could have had more positive memories mm-hmm. in my younger in my younger days. Mm-hmm. So with those lacking and and those sort of things that you look at as childhood experiences that, you know, seem more normalized and as opposed to what you were brought up in, what are, what are some of the things that you were brought up in Mm -hmm. that make you look at those things of like, wow, I wish I had that as opposed to what you did have. So like Detroit. So like, I, I, I'll explain like, I'll explain like a day I remember in Detroit so like I would probably wake up I went to a private school went to a really good private school in in uh, the metro mm-hmm. went to the metro uh, I would get up in the morning get dressed uh, depending on if uh, moms was there or not had an older brother Dominique TJ was in the picture he was a little baby um I would get up. Dominique, even though he was the older one, I, you know, was the one that acted older, I should say. Um, I would wake up, get them up, pour our bowls of cereals, and then we would go to school. Either Brian would take us, which is her husband or boyfriend at the time, or she would take us. And then we would go to school, get out of school at 12 or 1 o'clock-ish, both both parents are at home. We take the school bus home, and um, we're home alone until seven, eight at night. I would be outside. I'll just say that. Mm. Be outside. I remember uh, some doughboys lived two houses down. If you're looking straight out the house, it was to the left. They lived two houses down. So I remember coming home after school one day, and I remember I, I had just got the Grand Hills. I just got the Grand Hills and I just got his jersey. And I seen that was like my first time seeing a like basketball hoop, basketball hoop, like not inside a gym, like standing up inside a house. It, I, I kept calling it a basketball court. Mm-hmm. And like, I remember that was my first time. So like I gravitated towards obviously, cause you know, Grand Hill, he was my favorite player back then with Detroit and all that. Even though I was a Warrior fan at this time, cause Chris Webber did get drafted by the Warriors. And biological moms did have a huge crush on him. So I guess that's something good that came out of it. I was a warrior fan from the jump. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so. But, uh, shit, I kind of lost track. Yeah, no, you were talking about Grand Hills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, Grand Hills. And so, like, I just gravitated towards going down there after school. Come to find out they were dope boys. You know what I mean? They was, they would, like, Almost every every time I did something good or something, at the end of the night, like before my mom or one of the parents got home, they would slide me a ten or a twenty. You know, tw- tens and twenties in the nineties was like a, like 
a hundred dollars, hundred fifty right now. I mean, shit, even as a kid, tens and twenties, exactly, like hundred, exactly, like two hundred feet, exactly, dude. And they're doing this like almost every night. I'm going, you know, I'm going over there literally every day, mm-hmm. every day. Only time I'm not going is on the weekends because you know they don't have to work. Mm-hmm. And so one day, you know, being a naive ass kid, I probably asked them like, "What do what do they do?" And I remember they said something, you know, I'm I don't. They said something to sort of being in the being in that life, and you know that's where, you know, I kind of kind of saw how much money you know I see go. One thing that always mesmerized me was they had a projection screen TV. They had the projection screen TV with like the plush ass like throw rug. I think it was like. That it, I was just like these dudes are living so extravagant to be living in Detroit, mm. like, like you see these houses on the outside and then you walk in, these this is too this house should be in the Beverly Hills, mm. so it's just like you know I seen that and they were just you know feeding basketball into my mind, and but you know while I was young they allowed me to go through experiences they taught me lessons uh, of the streets. And like a toxic black man, I, you know, I honestly, I fell in love with it, fell in love with it. And, you know, I mean, just imagine being like six years old around all these like grown ass men and like you feel like you're holding your weight in your mind. Mm. You already you already know when you're a little kid, you're trying to be way too grown as it is. Mm. So, you know, if you're hanging around grown men and shit and they're actually like doing grown man shit and mm. they're actually like keeping you around. Mm-hmm. You know, you can imagine how I, really I was feeling. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, that that was the love I felt. You know, that was mm-hmm. the first, like, real love I remember feeling. You know, my biological mom, she was, I mean, she could only be around so much. She mm-hmm. could only be around so much. I don't know what she was doing work-wise, all this and that. But, mm-hmm. like, you know, I just remember the first uh, love I felt in my heart was with the dope boys from around the block. Uh, I mean, around the block, two houses down. Mm. After that, man, it was just came to California, and I was already ruined. <laughs> I was already ruined, man. So I do, I do want to t- tie into the the whole idea, like influences, yeah, and stuff and people that made you really shape the person you are today. Yeah. Outside forces, yeah. But you did say something that I. I think it would be pretty interesting to dive into it. You, you mm-hmm. said, as a toxic black man. Mm-hmm. Now, when you say by saying toxic black man, what mm-hmm. what do you mean by that? By a toxic black man, I mean all of the quote unquote stereotypes that we're supposed to fit. All the shit that we're supposed that black people are supposed to have. That we don't need that shit. That shit is toxic. Mm. Shit is toxic. All black like. Being in the street with guns and fucking, like, selling dope. Like, mm. no, that is not, like, every black man does not have to go through that. Shit, I hope no black man has to go, no black man has to go through that, to be honest. Mm. Get you a job at McDonald's. Mm. You know what I mean? Now, I understand there's, and and look, I, I'm being a hypocrite because I understand that I did what I did. And there's going to be plenty of other people to come along and go in that, but... I mean, man, there's, 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 
different ways. And if it comes to that, just do it the right way. You know what I mean? Uh, but as far as being to a toxic black man, like, you know, having all these toxic traits of like, I was caught up in the flight. Like, I love jewelry. I started loving jewelry so young. Mm -hmm. So money. Started loving money so young. Fell in love with money. Like, shit, at like six years old. Like, real life seeing money. Like, mm -hmm. You know, I still remember seeing a hundred thousand dollars, six years old, like all, all right there on the table, ca like cash, like this shit of keeping a gun on you, like you don't need to always keep a gun on you. That that is not cool. That's not cool. You know, uh, you know, just all of these like stereotypes that you can't express yourself. You got to hold shit in. Like, mm. no, no, it's not. Mm. That is not how it is, mm. like, and and if it is, if, if that's the, it's not gonna last long. You're gonna crack. You're mm. gonna break. You're gonna break. You're, we're only humans. And <clears throat> I, I I definitely see where you're coming from because it's the whole idea, of toxic ideas and mentalities and stuff like that mm -hmm. is especially fostered in the idea that the black man is I personally mm -hmm. the way I look at the way society views the black male they almost look at us as this art piece mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. and there's this art piece this exhibition that is standing in front of a, a, a city square and there's just all these people looking at you mm -hmm. and no matter what you do it's going to be critiqued, analyzed, yeah. praised, or yeah. rejected. Yeah. But you're always performing mm -hmm. for the people around you. Yes. So that that's that's a little bit where yes. my my opinion from it stems. But I would ask you, um, what do you think builds up this character of a black man, a toxic black man, as you as you had said, um, compared to a white? kid that grows up and lives a lifestyle that a typical white kid would live whereas you say the typical black man has to fit into this toxic mold of not being able to express themselves or um, the things you touched on what do you think is the difference in the white kids upbringing mm -hmm. as as opposed to the lifestyle you were brought up in or felt or even observed as a black black man and mm -hmm. black kid at the time uh, first of all, I wanted to address a part that you said uh, before where you said the black man's always performing. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to say that uh, somebody made it, uh, brought it to my attention, and then when I researched it, it was just amazing. And I think this is why we fall into athletes and all these performer positions. This is real quick, just off the uh, question. But we used to perform, we used to kill each other on stage for white people like that used to be their entertainment then it progressed to us killing each other's in uh arenas and stuff in front of all the well the romans and stuff but it eventually being black people over here and now i think that's been the progression that black people are just really uh good for entertainment or that's mainly what they're good for um and i think you know that I mean, shit, you see it now. I mean, you you see all the, I mean, you kind of just opened my eyes with this question. I'm gonna, I'm probably gonna get lost in it, but man, it's just, I mean, it's just amazing, man. It's just amazing. Like, 
how we dominate sports and they take the sports judgment and the sports rules and they try to apply it to us in real life. Mm. It's almost like they want to, they want to, they want us always to entertain them, even in our, in our personal life, you know? And it's just like, that's the, that's the slavery that's still there today Mm. with this whole Kareem Hunt thing. Mm. I mean, he, him getting, him getting, uh, them talking about him getting exempt from the league and not being ever to play again. Look, and, 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 uh, Mr. Sharp had me on the show ASAP. He's completely right. He's completely right. And the only reason why we're holding athletes to this standard is why? Because a lot, because we know a whole lot of black men are in athletics. I'm not saying that's the main reason, but this is where it's stemming from. Mm-hmm. And it's where it all brews back to is when black people were killing each other for white people for the entertainment values. Mm-hmm. But um, back to your question about the white kids upbringing and the black kids. It's just the the fit acceptance, the acceptance of who you are. Mm. When I grew up, you know, like when I grew up and and I had something to say, I didn't have, I didn't feel comfortable with anybody. I didn't have a comfortable platform saying anything to anybody. Even when in the later years with my dad and him building up a great relationship and blah blah blah, black men. Black men who have come from a street, bad background tend to have to hold things in. Because you can't tell nobody in the street. I mean, and this is for all the real ones. I just, I, I'm just speaking for everyone who, like, really held down and all, all that. But, you know, you, you can't say nothing. You're not going to say nothing. You're not even going to want to say anything. But it, it's always going to be in your head. And me and you both know being in your head is the worst shit being in your head and being stuck there and not being let out is the worst because that's where it stays the longest it's where it stays and brews the longest versus a white kid probably he's able to express his feeling to multiple people mm-hmm. mom dad uh auntie like mm-hmm. you know they, they they go to school and they probably got friends and shit at school dude after after foster care, I didn't go to school. Like after that day, I got taken away. I didn't go to school. I got enrolled, and I would go for like two days, and then I'd just be gone. I'd be out there tra- like, and and that's another shit. That's another important thing I realize now too is school. Like I missed three grades now that I think about it. But I mean, it's it's life. It's life, and. You know, I'm, uh, I know I'm a very intelligent, I'm smart young man, articulate. Still got more to go, though. Still, still got more to obtain. And shit, I want to just tell people now at this moment, I mean, shit, look at me, how I talk, how I sound, my background and shit. I missed three grades. Think about if I would have had those three grades. Okay. Imagine if I would have went to actually went to fucking fifth and sixth grade. I never seen a fucking graduation until high school. I went a promotion. I, we had eighth grade promotion, mm-hmm. but yeah, I didn't see a graduate real, a real promotion really till eighth grade. So, I mean, it's just differences. Like me, I didn't, you know, those years for school. How many? I mean, shit. How many people that you know, you know, on your end that missed any grades? 
can't name them off the top of my head. Exactly. So, you know, in, in, in Detroit, shit, half of us is in the classroom, half of us is outside waiting for motherfuckers to come out the classroom. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's just... It's just a, a huge difference in, I guess, uh, platforms and values. Yeah. Platforms and values. I like that. I like the idea of what a platform can do for a mentality and what it can do for almost the freedom yeah. of an individual. Um, so I'm glad you touched on it, especially in that way. Uh, so and, and real quick, man, before yeah, you question, man, my my pops, man, he told me, you know, we had, we just had a serious talk between us two, and he said something that fucking struck my mind. We want people to tell us everything. We want people to be, hey, come tell me how you feel. You can tell me how you feel. Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. What have you done to create the platform to make them feel comfortable that they can really feel like they can tell you anything? That's what people have to focus on more. Instead of telling somebody that they could tell you anything, create a platform where they can really tell you anything and they can really feel that. Mm. And so and and that's one thing that I feel like I got to get better at. I got to get better at. So I know people. I think people are comfortable with me, but I feel like people like in re- in romantic relationships, I have to start making that start making that effort and in personal relationships. It's almost like building a bridge. Yeah. Yeah. Building a bridge. You know, you, you can always say meet me on this side. I'm over here. I'm waiting for you. Mhm. Mm-hmm. How how are they going to get there if they don't have that bridge? Man. I, I I like that. I like that. And you talked about your dad introducing that idea to you and having that talk with you. Mm-hmm. And me personally, I know that you you and your dad, your dad is probably the closest thing mm-hmm. you got to that connection of family and just really hitting the core of it. Yeah. Um, so what is what is your relationship with your dad like? Oh, man. It is... Um, it's perfect to a fault. It's perfectly flawed. Mm-hmm. I will say that. Me and my dad... We love the shit out of each other. We want each other to do, like, we see big things out of each other. Thing that gets us both in trouble is we're both hard lovers. Mm. So we're passionate towards each other, Mm. which can cause communication problems, which can cause, you know, he doesn't back down and I don't back down. Mm. He's the only one that can make me back down, really. You know, you know this. Like, he's the only one that can make me back down. Uh, but even then, like, you know, my my chest and my head gets big to the point where I'm like, there's nothing he can do to back me down. Like, there's nothing. Like, I will, I will roar. But we're perfectly flawed, man, and I love it. Like, I hold my dad to this, what I realize now, godly standard. I hold him to a very high standard just because he's my dad. And he's, I mean, really the only, I mean, besides your mom, he's the only parent I have. So I hold him to a high, unga- a, a very high godly standard. And whenever he falls an inch of short of that, I'm very hard on him. Mm. In my, how I react to it mm. in my actions. Mm. Like, you know, we had a misunderstanding about 
money and, you know, instead of, you know, us being alpha males, we feel like so you should bow down and come to me. Mm. You know what I mean? Or you should. I feel like he's. Yeah, you're the father. You need to come to me and talk like it's the parents fault. Mm. Hey, uh, you know, you're the son. This is this is your life. You need to come and tell me, blah, blah, blah. You know, so, oh, if you're not going to come come to me, then I guess whatever, blah, blah, you know, we're both like that. So it's just, you know, and what we have to realize is the communication. And my dad's big on me about that now. Like he's he's big and he's very, man, he just leads by example, man. He He's very, you know, and, and he tells me, he's like, man, I'm like, I'm sorry. Like man, I'm I'm sorry for whatever you went through. You know, he always applied apologizes, which I hate that shit. I hate it. But why? Because there's nothing you can do. There was nothing. I mean, I was taken to foster care on a Monday. No, on a Thursday. He got that letter Monday morning. That he needed to be in court Friday in Detroit. He lived in California. He got the letter that Monday morning said he needed to be in Detroit Friday or he, uh, what is it called, uh, forfeit all his custody rights to me, any type of rights to see me, anything, 100%. This man took work off the next day and flew out that next night and was in court Friday. I can only imagine how much a last-minute ticket to Detroit and all that was back then, but I probably know it's expensive as fuck because anything dealing with technology or anything, like, in advancement was very expensive. So for me, I'm just like, imagine a 27-year-old male, all alone, single male, probably having hella fun in his life. 90s probably was a hell of a time to live. 90s, 80s probably was just yeah, probably bracken. Man, my dad, he was, you know, he, he, I see pictures and shit. He got rollies and car, being blacked out BMWs and, you know what I'm saying? All this. He had his own spot in Santa Clara, in California. You single by yourself, black male, look like, you know, I can only imagine the life he was living, you know, got money. And for him to do that at 27 years old and step into that spot, and step into that position to do that, it, number one, it made me, like, realize, like, this motherfucker really loves me, okay? This real motherfucker really loves you off the strength of, he bare, I mean, me and my dad, we were, we were good, we were, like, we seen each other and all that, but, you know, you really don't even know, like, the relationship at that point, like, you really don't even know, like, you're just now getting to relationships and points, and so, you know, Number one, him doing that, I know he loves the shit out of me and he would do anything for me. Number two, though, that's what started the ungodly standard. To see him do that and when I think about that and all that, it's almost like I hold him to a standard that's just so unfair. It's so unfair. And then I get mad when he doesn't uphold that standard. And like I said, one thing I have to realize is he's... I'm his first son. Nobody told... He didn't have a trial run before this. His parents, they dropped out of... You know, my grandma and grandpa, they dropped out in the sixth grade. You know what I mean? They they damn show really... I mean, from what I hear, he didn't have a relationship with his dad, you know? He is, him and his dad were, were not really on good terms, you know, until he got in his 30s. Like, I have to realize that this is his first trial run. 
really. This is his first trial run. He's doing the best he can. He's doing what he know what what he thinks is right and what he what he knows. And I can only accept that and grow with it and groom it or I don't have to accept it. I can deny it and, and leave it and dead it. But that's really the relationship with my dad. It's very beautiful. It's very unique. It's even with my dad, I'm almost to the point where I feel like I could tell him anything. I'm almost there. Mm-hmm. I hate telling him when I'm broke. I, I can't tell him that. <laughs> but <laughs> and that's another toxic trait about black men. <laughs> black men, man, don't fucking be man. It's okay to be broke, man. It's okay. Shit is fine. It means it means either you were having a lot of fun and making life experiences, or you were handling your fucking business. Either way, it's perfectly fine. Don't. Don't feel bad for none of that shit. <laughs> I, I like that, man. I like that, and that I think that's that's a good segue into uh, more of more of where you're at right now as mm-hmm. a person. So you are t- 25 years old. Correct. 25 years old. You approaching 26 in 2019. Sheesh. What does right now? What does life at 25 look like for Devon Man? Life at 25 right now is looking like, man, a whole bunch of hard work, but a whole bunch of payoff. Um, Right now, I'm just creating my own lane. You know, I see a lot of lanes out there, and I've driven in a lot of lanes, and they were fun. I could drive in those lanes forever. I could dominate those lanes but they're just not for me it's just not for me uh just not for for me as a whole you know and right now i'm just creating my own lane mm-hmm. go ahead yeah and, and, and what, what are those what are those lanes that you're talking about you well, dominate r- right now you know i'm really like building up like the modeling stuff uh building up my modeling and I, I feel like I'm going to be in entertainment. I just don't know where. Uh, actually, funny, I just had a shit meant to tell you this, but uh, a very close person to somebody named Aubrey Graham. What was that guy that stopped Aubrey Graham from putting a song out? Uh, Jay Prince. Yeah, 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 yeah. I knew his name, but Jay just Prince. wanted you to say it. His... Uh, <laughs> baby cousin is actually like locked in locked in like my dad sees him every day and my dad's been telling him about me for four years and I just met him and this dude was just like on my line actually supposed to have lunch with him tomorrow texted me today so you know one thing uh but I'm honestly man I'm working on my lane right now is doing big shit and being known for it behind the scenes. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I don't give a fuck about all the fame. I really Mm. don't want, like, cameras, and I don't want to be on, like, the TV, my face and shit. Like, I don't want that. Like, I realize that's... But the shit that I'm a part of and the shit that I create, I want all that everywhere. I want to see it everywhere. Name and all, like, I want to see it everywhere on everything. Sports fashion whatever whatever i got my head agencies real estate 
anything, anything. I, w- I want I want to see whatever I have to create, whatever I'm creating, I want to see it on everything. I want to see my touch on every single thing because I have a lot of great ideas for, I, I mean, for fashion, for social medias, for sports, even for government stuff like, you know, laws and all of this, you know, I've, I have like billion dollar ideas and I know these ideas are great ideas mm-hmm. because nobody's having fucking done them. Mm-hmm. I've looked them up. Nobody said anything about these ideas and they're very doable. It's just nobody has a mind like ours, like mine, like yours. So I have to just believe in it and I just have to know that yeah, right now my lane is just shit figuring out how to combine some ways to my comfortable fitting basketball, love playing basketball, love to dress my ass off. Shit, and I love to turn up with turn up with my loved ones. Like to do hood rat shit with my loved ones, honestly. <laughs> nah, I hear that. So, I hear that. And so in I, I mean big picture sense. Mm-hmm. Always thinking about the individual and your agency as as well as being an individual in the world Mm -hmm. with a bunch of other individuals a lot of what you were touching on is you said you have big dreams and you have these ideas and in places that you you think you can get and know you can get Mm -hmm. and i mean if you look at the whole world right everybody has these dreams and ideas at one point to be bigger than you know what the average lifestyle would be and when I say average I think of it in the term or the sense of you know nine to five job yeah got a mortgage you maybe start a family yeah stuff like that you know working living working and living comfortably but within somebody else's system exactly how do you see yourself getting to the level where you see your dreams at um instead of going that more traditional route? Well, honestly, I feel like my traditional route is the untraditional uh, route. Honestly, I've been thinking about, and this is a plan I actually have been uh, formulating, was working on today before this interview, is uh, we always talk about stra- sacrifice and how you always have to sacrifice and shit, no, you're going, it's going to be a little struggle, you know, to get to where you want. I know that, you know, at this point, I know, okay, I need money to do anything. Need money to do anything, okay? Am I happy with my money right now? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm fine if I'm just gonna be nickel and diamond every day. I don't have plans of that, you know? So I have to realize, okay, right now, my goal is to have 12,000 in my account at the beginning, at the end of January, so I say, okay, I look at my account now and I say, okay, I need this much more to get to that. I need to pay this. I need to do that. I need to do, okay, these are bills I need to eliminate. So one thing I actually have been doing is I actually set myself up where, you know, I'm probably going to live in like a like mortgage storage unit for like about a month or just be like a, a shit, what is it? A wanderer, like kind of just get in where you fit in. So I could literally just stack to my fullest 
stop, you know, stop smoking, drinking, quit, you know, it's just 30 days. It's just 30 days. If I got to be a bum for 30 days to launch myself to be successful forever, I will do that shit 30 times. I'll do that shit 30 times. So right now, you know, that's that's really my future plan is and right now, you know, that's aiming very low. That's aiming very low. You know, I just want that money so then I can invest in the real shit, you know, invest in the real shit and still have my kitty play shit and do all that. So, you know, grind out two jobs, two full time jobs for 30 days. Yeah, that's 16 hours in a 24 hour week. If I could get overtime, I'll do overtime. But it's just 30 days. Only thing I'm going to miss out on is sleep. Only thing I'm going to miss out on is sleep. My family and all of them, they'll be around. I'll see them. And even the, and, and I won't miss out on them because even if I don't see them in them 30 days, they'll understand. People that people that matter don't mind and people that mind don't matter. So, you know, that's that's my future plans to grind it out. I'm actually very excited about it. Fucking get to get a refreshing, refreshing approach to life at those after those 30 days. These people have been fucking nagging me. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, that's it's all part of the process and everybody does have a process. Mm-hmm. So again, going into transition to what you're talking about, you said you could gear up for the real shit. Mm-hmm. And so I would assume the real shit is a part of your future. What what is what does your future look like if you if I were to ask you right now mm-hmm. your most ideal in a vacuum lifestyle, like if everything went perfect the way it was supposed to, with everything you take account mm-hmm. into in your mind, mm-hmm. what does it look like? What does your life look like when you've reached that place? What does my life look like? Looks like... Man, honestly, to me, it looks like me probably having, like, a wife, kids. It'll look like... It's a great-ass question, man. It'll be extremely lavish, extremely luxurious, and this might throw people off, but it'll be low maintenance. Mm, what do you mean by low maintenance? So, or I should say low low quantity. Like, I don't want a Like, I'm not a person that I want a lot of luxurious shit. Like, I don't need a fucking 13 house mansion like, unless I got 13 kids or 12 kids, like, I just want my shit and what I need, what we need. I want our shit and what we need, but I want all that shit to be top of the line. Mm. And that's it. Everything, I mean. Do you put, <clears throat> do you put a, since you say you always feel like you're chasing stuff and catching up with time, do you put a, a time frame on getting that? I have to. <laughs> what does that time frame look like? Uh, shit. 
Shit, honestly, five years. Shit, probably lower than that. But I just say five years because got to take into the account of all the extreme, you know, things that may happen that you don't, that I'm not thinking about right now. But honestly, man, I feel like it's been my time. I feel like my time's been coming up and just passing me. But now I feel like it's my time. And even if it's not my time, I'm finna make it my time. It's been, you know, I've had that passive approach and I don't like where it's gotten me. So we're finna go a different way. And obviously that different way is the way to go because I've been doing the same way and it hasn't been going right that way. So, yeah, man. I, I see it. Honestly, I see three three to five years. And so you said the way you've been going, and I, I just want to touch on this real quick. Before mm-hmm. Like the last three questions I want to round out with. You say you don't like where it's gotten you. Where has it gotten you? It's gotten me. Actually, you know what? I take that back. I do like where it's gotten me. But I'm just at this point in my life, and where I see that projecting me, I don't want to be there. That's not where I'm really looking for, looking to be. I'm looking to be somewhere else. And I think I have to take the opposite side of the approach I've been taking. I'll say that. Mm. And again, like I said, I just got three questions I want to wrap mm-hmm. up with just because I feel like these are... Good, good man. to talk. Good, good to tie a bow on everything. Um, so, we t- I think we touched on it a lot, a little bit at the very beginning. But mm-hmm. in terms of success for your life, say, think of these questions as you've somehow passed away. And mm-hmm. you are literally just reflecting back on the timeline of your life. Mm-hmm. What does success look like when it's all said and done? What does success look like when it's all said and done? I would say it looks like all these people that are at my funeral right now. All these people that are at my funeral right now that took the time out of their day, their schedule, their week, to come here and pay respects, comfort my family for my passing. This is what success is. That even though as as blinded as I was on this earth and I couldn't see it, this is how many lives I've touched and I've affected in a positive way and they just had to come out and they just had to make sure that he ain't gonna be able to affect my life no more. Mm. That's what success is to me. If you die, if you die today and your funeral tomorrow and nobody show up, I mean,
I'll just leave it there. I like that. And so, in that same sort of mindset, again, reflecting back on a timeline of your life, mm-hmm. should you have passed on and you're looking at the grand scheme of things, the entire timeline, what does failure look like? Failure looks like... If you were to look back and say, this life was a failure. If I were to ever look back and say this life was a failure, I would look at that man laying in the casket. Because at the end of the day, I know that I'm extremely real with myself. And at the end of the day, I know that I'm conscious and knowledgeable of failure. Not even failure, but just unsuccessfulness. And that means that I would have ignored that, ignored my intuition, and somehow convinced myself, when I know I'm right, not to reach out. When you say reach out, what do you mean? Well, just reach out or uh, uh, reach out into that intuition and listen to it. Um, And something uh, like were to happen and I couldn't um, I couldn't affect people in a positive way me ignoring that intuition that's what failure would look like because at the end of the day at the end of the day I would know that all the people that didn't show up or whatever all the people that didn't acknowledge and all that they have a reason and you know why and you could have fixed that Actually, and now that I say that, my 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 success of life would be written on. God damn it! I just forgot. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. It's fair. It's fair. It's all good. That might that might pop back up here though. Yeah. So final question, and rounding this out, mm-hmm. um, just. In a conversation of just who you are and all that you've been telling us about you and and the life that you've lived up until this point and where you see it going, Mm -hmm. every single person that walks this earth develops fears at some point. Mm -hmm. And some people base their life on conquering them and other people cower from them. Right now or maybe it's been a theme throughout your entire life. What, What is your biggest fear? Right now, my biggest fear... Hmm. I mean, I'm pretty much a real nigga, so I'm not scared of shit, but... I mean, fear. I mean, I don't fear shit either. Fear no man but God. I don't even believe it. Now I'm playing God. Uh, I'm talking about my God, too. Uh, shit. Uh, what do I fear? Man, you know, it's going to sound really stupid. It's going to sound really stupid. But actually, I feel like my biggest fear is to fall in love with somebody that I don't know. What do you mean by that? Like, 
to fall in love with a woman and then to find out that she's a completely different person. Like, like if I fall in love with a girl and I, then I come to find out that like, I don't know, just something that something that would be a, a relationship killer for me, you know? <laughs> like what? <laughs> you already know what I'm saying. <laughs> if she was a hoe, shit. Like if we go out, like if we going out like four or five places and we seeing niggas that she been with or like they whispering around or actually no 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 my worst fear is to be real life dating a relate dating a woman being real to her shit has happened but being real to her and then like you know when niggas is like just talking shit about a bitch and it's yours yeah that is my biggest that's actually my biggest and I really love her like I really like love her love her for real yeah, I don't know about that. That's my biggest fear for sure. Because you know what, man? Women don't know. And they ain't going to know because I'm going to just stop right there. But when you love somebody, bro, that shit make you crazy. That shit is you crazy for real. Brother, sister, daughter, mom, dad, you crazy for the motherfuckers for real. So I don't want to hear none of that. People ain't crazy. Love and shit. Man, love is crazy. But love feel good. So y'all go find somebody to love. I hear that, man. I hear that. So that's pretty much all I got, man. And I know we dedicated a good chunk of time to this. Got a lot of really good content. Um, is there anything else you want to say heading out? Man, honestly, man, I just want to say, you know, you guys stick with me on my journey. Shit's going to pay off. Uh, and... I just want to say, man, I'm honestly doing this. My motivation is to show people that you can do it. Whatever that, you know, whatever you want to go do in life, you can do it. You feel me? Ain't nobody in this life better than you. You know, they just, we all just got different situations. And just handle your situation and go after your dream, you know, full-fledged. You can do anything. We all can. Anybody can do anything. You just got to sell out on it. And I swear I put that on put that on everything man it's gonna work out it's gonna work out i'm doing it for all you dreamers out there and believers for real so stay believing stay dreaming and man stay smooth sound good to me boss sound good to you yes sir appreciate you man appreciate you appreciate it Audi.